sharing like real parts of you feels so good once you realize that it's safe to do that. And that's what builds, I think, real connection. But we have this fear that we're not worthy enough, so we don't. Well, welcome to the podcast, Riley. I'm excited for today's conversation. Uh, let's let's start here. Could you just share a little bit of your your personal story, your journey to doing what you're doing today? Yeah, thanks, Zach, for having me. So, I've been a therapist for uh, since 2018, but I think before that, my experiences kind of led me to wanting to kind of get into private practice. I, growing up, struggled a lot with school. I think I had a lot of anxiety and ADHD, which just led to self-doubt. And I don't think I realized (laughs) that, I, I don't know if I had opportunities to like talk about my feelings and like process those things very well. I think my parents did the best they could, but I just went on this life that I was like, I think hiding parts of me and had a lot of anxiety. And I just thought that's the way mm-hmm. life is supposed to be. That's my life. And I think through therapy starting in high school, and I'm grateful that I did. Like, I think, I think my mom had a friend that was like, told her to put me in therapy. And so she did it, <laughs> which that was 25 years ago. And I think there was still a lot more of a stigma, you know, stigma around therapy. So that's where I think I started my therapy journey. And I was like, oh, what? Like, I just learned a lot about like, uh, so much just not feeling good enough and didn't realize that it didn't have to be my, those were just my thoughts and that I could work through, through that. So really, I think healing parts of that gave me some confidence. I went in, I still went into education because I think I thought that's all I could do. Looking back. Yeah. I wish I would have had different ways to explore that, but it was great. I was a teacher for four years and then I was a school counselor and got back into therapy again. Cause I think wow. therapy and coaching is a, like, it's for everyone. I think everyone would benefit from it. And I want to mm-hmm. continue to say that for the rest of my life and worked through more limiting beliefs and realizing that I, that all, all these other people that were doing these great things with their life I could do that as well, but it was hard for me to admit that because I didn't think I was worthy of it. And yeah. so I think we all struggle with that. So then 2018 or so is when I got my license to do therapy and did it part-time for a while. And then around 2020 is when I started, I think I opened up my private practice. Actually, maybe it was 2021, January, 2021. And I loved working with so many people along the same, like what I, what I struggled with and my pain points. And then I realized that, you know, you can only have so many, so many clients a week. And I felt like this calling to connect more with, with people. So then I started posting on Instagram and sharing more about mental health. So I've created a little bit more of some opportunities to do some coaching with people more world to help them. Very cool. Do you remember that, like that first moment in therapy back in high school where, I don't know, where you became aware, like, oh my goodness. I, I don't even know what, how to put words yeah. to it, but that moment of no, like complete <laughs> awareness, like, uh-huh. wow. Share share more around that. It actually, I know exactly, and it's going to make me emotional because it was yeah. so. I think my therapist said that I was walking around with a mask on and that I wasn't mm-hmm. like showing, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I had no idea." <laughs> and yeah. so I had this, you know, armor or mask, and I wasn't, and it was so freeing to realize like that I didn't ha- like realizing why I, I was doing that, and then that I didn't have to do that. That wasn't my, and it was just, you know, it was a simple conversation, but I was like, you're, you aren't showing anyone the real you. And mm. I was like, 
And I think a lot of people go through life like yeah. that. Yeah. What I I still I I see the emotion in your eyes. I love yeah. it. Um because there's, there's, I mean there's there was so much pain at that yeah. time. And I, I believe that those tears are kind of a release of that, right? It is. And it's like, oh my gosh, like I am so glad that I, I mean, it's still like, a, I think therapy and like working on yourself is such a work in progress. And so it's like, yeah. I have come so far. And so I think it's feeling the sense of like being really proud of myself, but realizing that pain, I think connects me with other people too, to realize like, I know what that feels like. Yeah. Could we stay here for a little bit and talk Let's about it? do it. Okay. I, I just, I wanted to know if you, yeah, if you're game for that. Can you say more about the the pain? Like what, it what is, was it that, that if you back in high school, what were you telling yourself or what were you believing about yourself that wasn't allow you, allowing you to share who you were? Yeah, that's yeah. such a great question because I, I think from an outsider looking in, I looked like a very happy 16 year old that was involved in high school, that was doing all the things that I, if I would have kept going, I don't think I would have had a major traumatic event but I would have missed out on so much, never digging into those, like those pains, those pain mm-hmm. points. And when I really think about it now, I, I think early memories, like our ex- early experiences from like zero to seven really have a big impact on us. And I have just a lot of experiences where I didn't feel smart enough. And I think school was hard for me. And I didn't, I didn't understand that maybe my brain worked a little bit different. And so at a very early age, I tried to hide, like I, instead of like realizing that understanding more about the brain now, which is pretty cool, but I just hid. And so I didn't even try. So I just tried to make everyone think I was smart and, but I didn't ever really work at it. So I, I never wanted to talk about grades or school. And then I never put myself out there in different opportunities because I didn't think I was smart enough. And so I think over time that just builds and then you, you take that on as your truth. Yeah. How did you start showing up differently when you started to realize, oh, this is a mask. This isn't who I am. Well, I think it was, you know, like, I want to like go back to like my high school friends and like, be like, I'm so sorry. Like (laughs) Uh, I was probably doing the best I could, but I think you, you know, little by little, you start to learn that like being vulnerable in is like this ability to be like, have strength and we think it's weakness, but I think so working on relation, probably my relationship with my parents, my mom, just starting to be more open and honest and sharing like real parts of you feels so good once you realize that it's safe to do that. And that's what builds, I think, real connection. But we have this fear that we're not worthy enough. So we don't. Yeah. That's that's so powerful. And I, this idea of not being worthy enough, not being good enough, it is the human experience. It's interesting because I was in a room just last, well, two weeks ago, and I, I just shared this. I kind of said, who here is familiar with that voice in your head who's constantly asking the question, am I good enough? Am I worthy to be at this table? Is it a matter of time before the other shoe drops? You know, that constant feeling, that emptiness that we kind of feel inside of us. The entire room raised their hands. And I did that intentionally. I, I wasn't like, oh my God, I can't believe it. I knew that would happen. And I love watching people look around the room and they're like, oh, I'm not alone. Like, because we, you think you're alone. You think that you're, there's something maybe wrong with you. And so there's a, some acceptance to just normalize it. Like, oh yeah. It feels so lonely. And when you don't talk yeah. about it, then like, I think the shame, then we become more secret and silent and the shame builds. But then when you're like, 
oh no, we all have these like (laughs) beliefs inside of our head and that negative self-talk, like, oh, that's normal. I'm normal. Like, okay, I can talk about it a little bit more. Yeah. So I I get to work with a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners. And I don't know, the the last couple of weeks, the word identity has been coming up a lot, like where I place my identity and the identity I find in you know, when my business is good, I'm good. When my business is good, I'm not good. You know, and, and just kind of that codependency that that is created. I don't know if it gets talked about very often in the business world. It's more around addictions and living with somebody. But I think you a person can be very codependent to their business and that identity and always trying to fill that void of trying to prove yourself. And I'm not sure what the question is. I know that that's real. And I I wanted to ask you, like, what's your experience about this idea of identity? Like, how do we find some resolution with, with the question of who am I? Yeah. No, even though you didn't ask a question, like I wanted to like... Yeah, I could tell. Yeah, I was like, yeah, that yeah. is so what, what we struggle with. I think we don't know who we are. And we don't, because of our early experiences, we don't feel like we're worthy. So we're constantly getting external validation and that we're searching for that. And it's this cycle. And that was my struggle. Like I just kept trying to get external validation from like mm-hmm. my parents, from high school achievements, from, you know, as long as I was like, like, but it was like this cycle that never ended. And I was so in my head. So I think I had talked to a lot of people that even a lot of my clients that have got, you know, have put poured so much into work or so much into, you know, like their identity, because that's where they've gotten their validation and and realizing that that only goes so far. And when you turn into yourself and realize that you can give yourself the validation that you're worthy, just as you are, we don't need the external validation. Then it, I think we start to feel a little bit more at peace and really learn who we are. Yeah. You you chose those words very intentionally, I think, turn into ourselves. So go ahead and sh- slow that down. And exp- I, I already can tell that there, that means way more than what most people would hear, I think. It's hard to do that because you yeah. when you t- when you turn in inward yeah. to learn to love yourself, you also have to feel the pain too, you know, and be honest with yourself. And I think we can give ourselves the love we can give ourselves like the nurture what we maybe needed as a kid and didn't get or what we're still longing for as an adult but we don't think we're worthy of it or it was never modeled to us our our parents like my mom was a great mom and i i hope she listens to this <laughs> she did the very best she could and but she she was so busy trying to please everybody else i don't think she ever knew how to love herself and so i continued that on. And I, I I think through therapy, I realized that I, when we realize that we, we are enough, we can turn inward and start, I think, accepting ourselves for who we are. And I don't know, it's really powerful. I don't think there's like some magic, you know, code. I wish there was, because then that right. would make this, this work a lot easier. But I think the awareness and acceptance is the starting point for sure. Yeah. I don't know what you find with, with people you work with and it, is it a practice? Like, awareness it the way i've started to understand it is just like physical fitness there's mental health health fitness like it's it's a practice it's not something like uh, there's no destination it's a constant process and talk to me about that like what but what is the work because this whole thing that drives us to do physical fitness and all the you know 
the physical health, you know, eating well and working out. It's such a discipline and a willpower. And you're like, oh, I worked out today. I didn't, it was leg day, you know, and you're right. And it's like, uh, but when it comes to turning inward and doing inner work, that like that way of being might be counterproductive. Like how do we work with ourselves? So I think you have to make a commitment to just keep showing up for yourself every day and realize that there, I don't know if there's an end game, but that you make a promise to yourself to, you know, learn to be kinder. And I think there is a little bit of parallel with working out because I don't necessarily think that we have this like motivation and, and, and willpower every day, but we have, you know, we've made this commitment or we've made a promise to ourselves that we know we're going to feel better. So I think like, realizing that you're worthy enough to lean into like that. And it, it, self-love gets thrown around a lot now. It's like this hashtag yeah. and this buzzword. And it's not this like glamour. Like sometimes it's like, what would my life look like if I took time for myself? What would it look like to forgive myself? Mm-hmm. To, you know, I think I almost do this act every day where I allow some self-forgiveness and then I make a promise to myself. And it's really hard to forgive ourselves. But sometimes I will just forgive myself for, you know, feeling really stuck in, not taking action. And then I make a promise. I'm going to continue to be like, show myself compassion and kindness. And just that act, whether it's a journal or you, it's a practice you say, allowing yourself forgiveness is really powerful. It is very powerful. And I, I don't want to zoom past it. So are you familiar with acceptance and commitment mm-hmm. training? Who's, who's the guy that Stephen Hayes? I'm familiar with it. I haven't done a lot of it, but yes, it's, it, it's along it, it, those same lines. And I'm not, I'm not trained in it. I'm not a therapist. I'm a hobbyist. I love, like I've read his book. I can't remember what it's called, but it's all around ACT. And mm-hmm. it, it like changed the game for me when I started. Cause at the moment, at the time I was reading that book, I remember I was an executive, felt constant anxiety. I'd wake up in the middle of the night, just like, I got to get to work. I got to, I got to figure out how to hit this goal or, you know, you're right. It just never went away. It would, it would disrupt an entire Saturday with my family. I'd be up in my office responded to an email. Like I just couldn't be with those uncomfortable emotions. Mm-hmm. And and when I was reading this book, I don't wish I remember what it was called, this idea of acceptance, this idea of let yourself feel what you're feeling without judgment. Because that's what I would do. It's like, oh, anxiety. Uh oh, something's wrong. I better go fix it. I got to fix me and I got to go yes. do more. It's just like, well, I've just noticed myself feeling some anxiety right now. And I just yes. feel it. So share more because you're the expert on this. I'm not share more about our relationship with emotions and how that paired with self-forgiveness and acceptance. I'm laughing because I've had a couple of clients that are like, I didn't realize it was so easy as just accepting my anxiety Mm -hmm. because it's uncomfortable and we want to push it away. And we have, you know, as a society, we are taught not to feel our feelings or it's a sign of weakness. And so that uncomfortable feeling, I'm going to like push it away. I'm going to numb it. I'm going to deflect. I'm going to, you know, not sit with it. And so I I often say, you know, like some of the first things is just sitting with your feelings. And I think sometimes my clients will be like, you mean I just have to sit in it? I don't like, but it's very hard. And when they actually do, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And so when you allow it and you, you notice it, it does not hold power over you as much as it, and it just is there. And then from there, I think when you can accept it, there's just more opportunity to not feel stuck. And that's when there's, when you accept it, I think then there's more room for, you know, what would my life look like if I allowed myself to, you know, 
feel like I was important if I put myself first? What would how would that change my my family? How could I be a better mom? How could I be a better parent if I just started thinking about what self love would look like? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the sitting with the emotions, right? Well, but what do I what do I do? What do I do with them? It's like. <laughs> You let them be there. You let you let yourself experience it. It's so funny. I'm like, yep. You just came to therapy, and that's what your homework is. I know it's 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 weird. It's wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was that realization for me of whoa. I am not my thoughts. I am not my feelings. Like those those are just experiences that I'm having in the moment. But who I am is much greater than all of that. And I am responsibility. I am choice. I I can be the mountain in the storm and then let stuff be there. And it doesn't have to, it affects me. Like I'm not like stoic. I don't know about that, but I can just be with it. And something else that was helpful for me, Joan, Dr. Joan Rosenberg, who I got the chance to meet just a couple of weeks ago, she wrote a book called 90 seconds to a life you love. And the whole premise of the book is she talks about riding the wave of emotions. Like yes. one, there's a, there's some research done that, an emotion lasts maybe 90 seconds. So can you be courageous enough just to be with that for 90 seconds and watch it arise and watch it dissolve? And that's a really cool practice. That's such a simple practice. But when you do that, all of a sudden you're like, whoa, this isn't who I am. I get to, I get to just be. And I think you said something really powerful though. And I did hear, I haven't read that book, but I just heard on another podcast using that exact example. So it must be all the rage in order to allow it to like take those feelings like a wave you have to make the connection that you're you aren't your thoughts and like that is i think getting to that point so many people have have that those negative beliefs and they that is their truth and so they can't you have to separate it first or you have to realize that's that's the starting point and and make doing that first and realizing that 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 is not those are just thoughts yeah and they're just thoughts. They're just feelings. It's just, it's called being a human being, right? Like right. let yourself be there. And the other thing I notice is how we choose to do battle with these emotions and these thoughts. Like I, I was with somebody just the other day and it's like, how do I stop being my own worst enemy? How do I stop this anxiety? And how do I, like, how do I stop being my own worst critic? You know, and, and there's this stuff inside of us that we resist. and what we resist persists. And so that's an interesting, again, back to letting, allowing, acceptance. What What's your experience been there? Like, how do we, how do we train ourselves to not fight these things that we're avoiding? And like, what are some practices? Oh, that's such a good question. I think that it's a constant lifelong <laughs> journey, but I, I, I feel like some of the things that help right away is is, is meditating or getting you out of that, like fight, flight, or freeze. So I'm going to give you some other examples too, but I think the re we can't get out of it because we are, our brain and our body goes back to what, what we know. And I, but I essentially it's more of like that survival mode. And so I getting out of that situation and meditating, feeling more grounded, grounded journaling. I think affirmations can be really positive, like learning, like, what do you want to believe about yourself and, mm -hmm. and saying those things, something to get out of the like stuck part of your brain. Yeah. Do you find that people have a, a difficult relationship with meditation? Like, yes. And yeah. think, I'm so glad you brought it up. And it's so sad. We think everybody thinks they're doing it wrong. And mm -hmm. if you think about, and, and, and I understand I didn't start meditating until probably four or five years ago, 
but it's a meditation practice. So I think we're practicing, but allowing how, how often do we just allow to our bodies and our minds and just to be still. And we have an inner knowing, we have that inner knowing in us, but we don't ever just sit with our thoughts, but there's no wrong way to do it, but people don't even try because they think they're doing it wrong or it's too uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and now we're back to unwilling to face difficult emotions, aren't we? Right. Like Mm -hmm. that's the key is to be able to be with emotions. And I think all uh, most addictions, most busy, like just this busy hustle culture that we have and the burnout at the source of that is we're unwilling to sit with the discomfort of what what's real for us. 100%. Especially over the last, what's all been occurring over the last two years. Like it's just, there's a lot of emotions and, and so I guess if you're listening, it's a call to be courageous and be with that. Like that's the most courageous act you could possibly, it's not to armor up and go do more hard things. It's like, just sit, just sit. It's, it's been, it's been difficult. You know, that interesting, like when you sit, and that feeling of like, oh my God, I can't, oh, I can't do this. And there's just this, like, I, I, I gotta go be doing something. Like, how is that playing out in your life? Like that is like, what, how much of life are you unable to feel because of this racing? And anyway, I, it's been a real, it's, I love this conversation because it's real for me too. Like I, you're bringing me back to who I was five years ago, just running on that hamster wheel trying to prove myself and fill that void of not being enough. And I think there in the last several years, there's this new, I, I hope it's, it's actually going away again, but like this hustle culture and like you're, if you're always doing, then you're enough. And that's ridiculous. Yeah. I think it's hard. I love what you said. If you're listening, like that's, that's what's brave. That's what's courageous. And it, it's it's a switch and it should change. And when when people model vulnerability and you know their ability to like sit with their emotions, like it gives me so much. It inspires me. So I encourage people to find find people that resonate with them that do have this ability to share parts of them and be authentic. And then it makes me want to do it more. Yeah. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. People follow courage. And so by you being you, which I wasn't planning on going here, but you've done like on Instagram, like I noticed how many followers you have and I'm like, dang. And you've just made a practice of like unapologetically showing up being you. And I love it about you. Like I haven't known you that long, but I'm like, right away, I'm like drawn toward it. It's just like, yeah. And people follow courage. And that's so cool that you're role modeling it. Right. And that's so cool. So I feel like I'm still healing parts of me every day, though, because I'm showing up in in ways that I would have never, ever put myself out there five years ago. And so I, I feel like there's, yeah, parts of me. So for, for people listening, I had this desire to start sharing more about mental health. And I started doing a lot of dances because those take, take off and they're like, you know, TikToks. And I think they kind of took a life of their own. So then I add a mental health spin to it. But I, I think there's a part of it. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I'm just being real or if it's relatable. It's it's taken on a life of its own and it's been kind of fun. Yeah. Like you can't be, I, I would have, well, let me ask the master. You can't be in a bad mood 
while you're moving your body. I can you like, is there a link to, to that? There, right. But I have to say that, you know, we haven't really talked about the imposter syndrome much today, but the, through it. this journey, journey, like there's some days that I feel this immense self doubt still. And so even, and so I am like, why I don't have anything important to share with, I don't have anything that's going to be inspiring or worthwhile. Like, what do I have to say? What do I have to offer? And so I, I still, it's a cycle that I still have to work through, but you're right. There is a, there, I think there is something about dancing and even watching people dance that there, it, it connects with part of your brain that I think even, even maybe if you're just watching it, I think there's got to be a connection to like endorphins or something. Yeah. So it automatically, it, it makes me feel better and hopefully it connects with other people when I'm dancing and telling them, talking about inner critic and self doubt. Yeah. Well, (laughs) that I, I, I don't know, but I would imagine you get both sides. You probably get, you probably get some just jerks and you have people that are just like, I just look forward to seeing you show up every day in my feed. Right. Right. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's the world is going to judge. It just will, it will. And so to so live your life because you're going to get yes. judged either way. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Just, it's so freeing to me. And, and I'm speaking to somebody who's doing it. Like, you're just like, yeah, well, unapologetic. I'm going to be me. And this isn't for you. It's for me. Other in, anyways. people's what other people think of you is none of your business because yeah. Yeah. Wow. We don't, we don't have time for that. No, but it's a real feeling. We live our 100%. So we live our whole (laughs) lives. There's the FOPO fear of other people's opinions. Like we constantly. So when I was in a leadership context, I constantly was trying to tune into what are they thinking of me? What do they want from me? What, what is the right thing for me to do next? What should I say? Ought to say? That was the inner, if you're in, in my head, that was the inner dialogue going on 24-7. And you know what I missed was what I really felt and what I right. really wanted and what really lit me up and the desires and passions, right? And and so I've kind of been playing with this idea of leading from the inside out. This making leadership, and I the word leadership kind of feels bankrupt to me. Like it just doesn't feel like there's so much. I mean, what, what comes to mind when you say, when you hear leadership right now in the world, but, but I like this idea of an authentic, expressive person because that's where all the magic happens. So, yeah. and that's, yeah. I think when you add, I agree with you is, is leadership like a, but like too, too broad. But I think when you say like self-leadership, like, I think there's, there's, when you add that self to it, then I feel like you can really lead with it, like turn inward and, and do exactly what you were saying. I don't know. Yeah. That's cool. I like that self-leadership. Another word that I've been really thinking a lot about is responsibility and this idea, nobody else is coming. And, you know, that sounds very like bravado, like, oh, it's, if it's up to me, if it's to be, it's up to me kind of like, I don't want to go that far, but there is this just like, nobody's going to tap me on the shoulder and say, Zach, you're a good guy or you can do it, Zach. Like, right. You, like only I can give myself that gift and no one else yes. is coming. And that's being hundred percent responsible, self-leadership. That's people follow that all day long. So if you want to lead, start with yourself. So I love yeah. that. Yeah. No one else is coming. And when yeah. you, when you give yourself what you need, then I think you can show up in relationships and work places, even, even, better instead of waiting for to get validation from someone else. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you mentioned imposter syndrome. Is it ever going away? No, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> I just yeah. think it, at times it's louder than others and yeah. it, it holds power over us. And then other times we're like, oh, you know, I think maybe, maybe it changes and evolves. Cause I think about where I am now versus where I was five years ago. And you probably can do the same thing. And you're like, whoa, how much has changed and how much I've done that I thought at some point I wouldn't be able to. So I think maybe we overcome it, but then as we continue to grow, it's still, it shows up in different ways or. Yeah. I'm curious what you think about this because sometimes I can be a little extreme, but so I, I love Stephen Pressfield. I don't know if you've ever read, he wrote the book, The War of Art. I haven't uh, read it. And Do I need to the, check it out? I love the book. So yes, you should. Um, <laughs> but he's an author and he's a creative. And this whole book is about the creator's journey, the war of art. And every day when we're making art, any type of expression, which to live is an expression, right? So I love that it's, it's universal. For us to express our art, what shows up inevitably is resistance. We can call it imposter syndrome, the inner critic, that part of us is like, who do you think you are? What are you doing? Like, come on, you know, it's resistance. And he says something in the book, I'm paraphrasing, but kind of like your dream is always on the other side of resistance. Like it's all. So if that's true, then let's go find some resistance because that's a, that's where I, that's the direction in which I'm being called to go in. For me, I've learned to start to change my relationship with it. Like, oh, wait a minute. I haven't really felt that imposter for a while. So, huh, what have I been doing? You know, how am I playing? How am I playing safe? What am I avoiding? What, what, what part, what am, yeah. What, what part of me am I not acting on that I'm really being called to act on. Like I've like learned to invite it to the party. Like, yes, yeah. I love it. I need to start so, doing that too. I, I recognize it and, and call it and name, you know, I'm like, okay, that's just my imposter syndrome. And I do think that like your power is on the other side of that. You know, like there is 100% a reason why you're feeling that resistance. Like it is like on that other side, which so many people were like, oh, I, that's too hard. Oh, I can't do that. They don't ever actually go to the other side. Yeah. That's where like you, man, it's this ultimate feeling of just, it's so empowering and freeing and you want to keep chasing that. But I'm going to start inviting my imposter syndrome. Like I'm going to maybe, maybe that's going to help me too. I like that. Yeah. It's helped me. I, and I was, I was going through a training. So when I got, I spent like a year going through some coach training and one of the, we did this process of kind of getting a, clear on our, our version of imposter syndrome. What's it always telling us? And, and we gave it a name and we like, some people like created like a visual representation of it. Kind of like, like, I think mine is, yeah, here's mine. It's a, it's a little hamster running on a wheel. Yeah. And, and it just reminded me, like, if I keep letting my imposter syndrome drive the, the car, that's what, that's who I'm being, you know, that's the life I get to look forward to. And so it just reminded me like, oh, that ain't what I want, you know? And, but I saw so many people like, like they wanted to take that visual representation, throw it on the ground, stomp on it, kill it. You know, like I hate this thing about me. And that is it again, what you resist persists, right? And so how do we love that part of us, that imposter syndrome? Because if you really look closely at it, well, what do you think? Where does it come from? Why is it there? And what's what's the role it's trying to play? I think it's trying to keep us safe. 
and it know our brain yeah. knows certain like once it wants to try to find certainty even if it's like we're so stuck our brain can it feels safe that way in that way so it's mm. it's alerting us that we are doing something that's challenging and so we're feeling fear we're fe- feeling all the feelings that are that are going to challenge us yeah you know this this became there recently I was working with a client and she she really struggles with control. Like just, she get she'll get angry, like wants to take control if things aren't perfect. So there's just this clinging to control. And we, you know, stay curious with it. And eventually she, she was like, I just, I don't trust. I don't trust people. It's hard for me to trust people. And we dug a little bit and I don't usually do this, but she kind of came back to, I just asked her a question like, well, when, when did you first feel that or feel that voice in your head? Like where it wasn't safe to trust and naturally childhood, an event in childhood come up and it's like, and so the realization for her was, oh my God, that's been there because when I was a little girl, it kept me safe. Like by me not messing up, it prevented me from a world of pain and hurt, you know, emotionally, whatever. So that makes sense why it's there. It's actually there to keep me safe and protect me. And it's kind of like looking at it and smiling back at that imposter syndrome or that, that inner critic and be like, you know, thank you. Thank you for keeping me safe all those years. But then there's, there's this release. Like I don't have to, that's, I'm not a child. I'm an, I'm an adult. Like I got this. So you can go ahead and come along, but you can, you can ride in the passenger seat while I drive this thing and we're going, we're going yeah. to, to the dream. And anyway, I just, that was such a, it just happened just the other day. I'm like, it just came to my mind. That's an example of what you were saying. I think. Reminding those parts of you that you're not 10 years old anymore, that you're not six. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, that you can, that reminding them how old you are and that you could, they can come along, but right. Yeah. I'm not, I don't need you to protect me in that way anymore. Yeah. I want to go here, but if I'm curious, trauma comes up. So this is where I bump up again. I'm not trained in that, you know, I'm, and, but I think it's a real thing. And, and, uh, I find that a lot of people don't want to go back there and they, they avoid that and they don't want to like, they almost like, no, they say no to therapy. I want to work with a coach, not a therapist. No, I don't want to do therapy. I don't want to go back there. I don't want to feel that again. Why would I want to do that? What would you like to say to those, like the, not those people, I don't mean that, like what, what do you have to, cause that's a real experience, mm-hmm. but I think you probably have a perspective. What, what, what do you have to say on that? Well, it makes sense that people like, I think you can almost just block out parts of your life and it, it to open that back up. It's, it, it can be very painful. And also I think the word trauma, like I'm actually glad you brought it up because I think we all experience trauma and some of us have big traumatic events and some of us just have small little T's and those would be like, they're big T's or little T's, but those little T's are like how your mom only gave you praise through validation or a fourth grade teacher that was really hard on you or a sibling or how friends treated you. Like little things are still our trauma. And like, if it doesn't process in our brain, it gets stuck. Mm-hmm. So I think there has to be some sort of healing work. Do you have to dive right back into the trauma? Not always, no. But I think giving yourself, reparenting, I think is a word I hear a lot now, like working with your inner child and giving your inner child what they needed that maybe they didn't get. 
And I think you kind of hit on that, you know, talking to that, you know, inner critic or those parts of you, and that can be very healing. So I, I think it doesn't have to be this huge therapy process, but I, I think that in order to heal it, you can learn to reparent yourself. And so there is a little bit of opening that those experiences, but I think it doesn't have to be this wide open. I have to like open it all up. Yeah. Why do you think it's because you said something about healing, kind of healing the past. Why, why do you believe that's important? Or, or what is your experience told you that says that's important? So I think that if, if the best way to, ex- I, I feel like this, maybe this is a good, an okay way to explain it, but we all have experiences and I, we could be have the same experience, but how my body interpreted it and versus you could be totally different. Mm-hmm. And so the, I think what we know now with like how we hold on to trauma, they, if not processed correctly, like, you know, like before my computer wouldn't start, like I needed to restart it. I think we have to reprocess some of those parts of us to heal. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I wish I knew more, like I'm actually like curious and want to lean in because there's, there's people that I care deeply about that have had trauma in their lives. And it, it hurts to see like, they're not broken. They don't need fixed, but there's just things that their body learned to respond to emotion. Like it's, it could be an unrelated event is what I'm learning. And I, cause as a coach, I'm like, well, just change your thoughts, change your story. And it's easy. Like, yeah, that's not easy, but it, it was so simple. But when you get into trauma and I'm learning that it's much more complex than that, like there's, there's parts like it's more physiological, like where do you feel it in your body? What, yeah. Like paying attention to that. You're absolutely right. So I think it's more of the, the thought work is so good, but unless you also have to do the feeling work and yeah. that's where you open up some of those past events and, and, and there's lots of different ways you can do it, but yes, you are exactly right. That there has to be the feelings to connect sometimes with the thought work. And I want to, I think this is true. I think I, but so we don't experience trauma in our thoughts first. Often we probably experience it in our body. Mm-hmm. It's stuck in our body. And it goes, it actually, because it's a fear response, it bypasses our kind of the executive function, our actually conscious thinking. And it goes right to like our amygdala. And so we're, we're doing something before we even consciously are aware we're doing it. Like we're in a self-protective behavior before we're even aware of. And so I think there's so much opportunity for people that if, if they're aware of some trauma, that doing that work with somebody like yourself is so freeing because what happens is I think we, in a business setting where we're perfectly safe, but something triggers that same physiological feeling that something very harmful in the past triggered. So instantly our body and brain attributes it to that. So we, we literally don't, we no longer are ourselves. We, we throw up the armor and we, we act incongruent with who we know we are. And we, and I think that leads to so much self-destructive behavior and addiction. And there's so much healing there. I, I just would encourage if you're listening, I've watched it. And some of my clients that have made the choice to go deeper and, and 
do the courageous act of facing those emotions and, and processing them, it's the most freeing thing you could do. So that's your arena, Riley. But I just want to encourage people towards that because I think there's it's so needed. More work like that needs to be done. I would imagine you already, I think you've told me there's not enough people doing what you're doing in the world. There's not. <laughs> yeah, there's not. So, because you're full. I I do, yes. I have a private practice in the Kansas City area and then also do some coaching. And right now, it's. I mean, I encourage anyone to still reach out and, you know, see what we can make work. But you're right. It's There are not enough therapists, coaches, healers, I think, to support our society right now. Yeah. And in some ways, it, in, in some ways, I think that's a positive to show that people are more comfortable and more okay with, with going to therapy, which it was so, there was such a stigma, but we still have a lot of work to do too. Yeah. So just to complete on the trauma discussion, what should, if people are like, you know what, I do want to look into that. Mm-hmm. What should they be looking for? Is there certain modalities or tools or things they should be looking for in a therapist or someone yes. they work with? That's a really good question because I think specifically, so there's there's therapists that would sometimes would call themselves a trauma therapist. I'm not, I don't think I would call myself a trauma therapist, but I am one in one one modality that I use is EMDR, eye movement mm-hmm. desensitization reprocessing. It is, I learned it as a client before in my late 20s. It is just this getting some bilateral stimulation to reprocess situations, like you said, that are stuck in our body that when we were 10, we couldn't process correctly. But now what I felt as a client, like therapy in general was great, but from my own experiences from EMDR, and that's just one, let me give you a couple other Mm -hmm. examples for people, was life-changing. So now I I use it a lot with my clients And, and a lot of times, yeah, from trauma. But EMDR, internal family systems, inner child work, any any anybody that I would say calls themselves a trauma therapist is using using some of those modalities that is working on healing those parts of you. Very cool. From when we were younger. Very cool. Well, I have a few more just quick hit questions to wrap with. Let's um, go. This is a selfish question because I'm a I'm a voracious reader. I love reading, listening to podcasts. So I always ask my guests to help add some new stuff to my list. What's a book or a podcast that you're really into right now? Well, I feel like I'm going to hit a lot of, a lot of, would you work with a lot of women? I do. Um, Actually I do. Yes. So I love Glennon Doyle and her sister and Abby Wambach, her wife. It's, we can do hard things. I feel like every week it's, they're giving me my own therapy session, but also I, I'm sure you get a lot of suggestions that Brene Brown, I, feel like she, even Brene Brown's earlier books, like Mm -hmm. she's done so much great work, but I think some of the earlier books that she wrote would really relate to what we talked about now with like, what was her very first book? It was, it was life-changing for me. So I love Brene Brown and sorry, I was going to give you another one that was not those two, because I feel like those are extremely popular. I think what I like about Glennon Doyle's We Can Do Hard Things is she, she talked, they talk about so many things that are relatable and it just makes you feel not alone. So maybe start there. Yeah, thanks. No, I, I will. And I'm trying to, I am too trying to think of the first book Brene Brown wrote. Gifts, I'm not sure if this was the first one, but Gifts of Imperfections was I, what I was trying to think of. It might, that might not be yeah. the first one, but yeah. that it was written over 10 years ago. And I think that really relates to just being authentic and wholehearted living and not, you know, learning to work, look, work through people pleasing and perfectionism. And it was just, it was very, it was, 
I, I read it when I needed it. Yes. That's right. Yes. The book that I loved of hers was, I think, Dare to Lead. Does that yes. sound right? That lead. one, that one really spoke to me and this idea of being vulnerable, which is all her work. I mean, a lot of her works around vulnerability, but love it. Very cool. Well, I always like to ask my guests, like, what are you building? What are you moving into and moving towards? Because sometimes it's good to just share that because sometimes it attracts people to you that can help you on your journey. So what are you building, Riley? Great question. So I, one of the reasons, okay, so I feel like my passion or what I'm called, something I'm continually called to do is to educate and provide more awareness just around mental health support. And so if therapy is not an option, or like we talked about, I think it's it's sometimes hard to find therapy or you don't have the resources. I want to continue to create courses and opportunities to at least start if, if people are looking for mental health support. And that's kind of why I started Instagram as well. So that is that is my work in progress hmm. while continuing coaching and therapy and and maybe i don't know create a continuing to create a remove a movement that therapy is for every single person on this planet and working on your mental health is cool love it very cool <laughs> very cool well how can people follow along how yes. can they find you where would you direct them to well definitely instagram it's just my name riley dodd that is a great place to start i i feel like i hang out there a lot right now but also i have a website riley dodd dot com mm-hmm. that I hope to continue to build and provide more resources and and support there. Oh, and if you're in Kansas City, the private practice is wholeheartedkc.com. Very cool. And I'll I'll uh, make sure we get those in the show notes for people if they want to click the links and just go there. So yes. well I've loved this conversation, Riley. So thanks for thanks for investing the time you did today and being on mission just because there's no question that you educated and and drove people towards this movement. I love it. Like, I love it. So thank you. And we'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Awesome. Thanks, Zach. Hopefully you really enjoyed this podcast episode. And my hope is you found it really inspirational. And also, most importantly, I hope you took away some practical things that you can start to do and apply in your own life. So finally, I have one small favor to ask of you before you go. Wherever you get your podcast, whether that's Apple Music or Spotify, If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Love to hear your thoughts. Come find us on social media. Share it on social media. It just really helps us get the word out, helps us grow our audience. So please do that. Thanks to my team, Ashley Bolden, who handles all the admin, and Chris Skipper, who handles all the music and editing of this podcast. For more information on the Create Purpose podcast, you can go to www.createpurpose.net. And you can also follow me on Instagram at Zach.Arend. Please drop me a comment. Reach out drop me a DM. I'd love to hear from you and love to hear what you're taking away from these conversations. What would you like to hear more of? Do you have any guests that you would love to see come on the show? And I'm always looking for great people to talk to and people with great stories that can inspire you. And so if you know of anybody, send them my way. Love to hear from you. I'm your host, Zach Aaron, and I'll see you in the next episode of the Create Purpose podcast. Bye for now.